I have with me a guest today that I think is only the third person in the hundreds of interviews that I have done that I actually thought, you know what, I need to bring that guy back. Um, Jason Rance, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It is an honor to be the third. <laughs> so, Jason, for the last three years, we have seen uh, just such a deterioration uh, when it comes to crime and uh, law enforcement policies and prosecution, um, not just in, in Seattle, where you are, but really all around this nation. And you have been at the forefront of all of this, reporting on it, writing about it, you know, providing uh, commentary about all this. What was the impetus to actually sit down and write a book about what's killing America? The impetus was the same impetus behind why I talk about it so often is that you really didn't get many media outlets outside of conservative outlets talking about what's been going on in these big American cities. They pretended for the longest time that there was no issue whatsoever. And even still to this day, you've got outlets and activists and politicians who want to pretend that there's nothing the matter with San Francisco or L.A., New York, Seattle. Chicago, Atlanta, DC, the list goes on and on and on. And so I decided to write this book to not just highlight what was going on, but why what was happening was happening. If you tune into any local news channel, they'll tell you about the latest murder, they'll tell you about homelessness, they'll tell you about the cost of living, but they're all transactional stories, just the here's what happened, here's who it happened to, and here's what we think is gonna happen next, but they don't tell you the why. They don't point to policy decisions that have been made over the course of, in some cases, the last decade, but really over the course of the last three years have been the hyper-focus of what I call the radical left. I don't view what I talk about as inherently political, but it becomes political. And I don't think Democrats have the same viewpoint as some of the progressives within their party. And I think it's important to separate those two out because ultimately, What's killing America is happening in large American cities. It's spreading. But if you don't get Democrats and moderates on board to explain to them why this is happening and why you can make a difference, how you can make a difference, then we're not going to actually see anything different happen. And, and that's a big issue for me is I don't want to just complain about what's going on. I want to tell you why it's happening, because unless you know the why, you're not going to really know what to do next. You know, that's such a great point because, you, you know, you live in the Seattle area and, and that's always been a a left leaning, you know, politically speaking, a left leaning area. But it was also one of the most beautiful and safest cities yeah. to visit. I used to love to go visit there. I was always excited when I got assigned to train there because, you know, I always felt incredibly safe walking around Seattle and you could, you know, see some counterculture and, and things like that. And everybody was kind of happy and friendly and, and uh, gosh, that has changed so much. What happened? What happened is you had a bunch of ideologues who decided to govern via that ideology. And th this is true on the right as well, that when you're blinded by your ideology, you don't see the consequences of your decisions. And in Seattle in particular, over the course of the last several years, we saw the council get progressively more radical. And that has obviously been a problem because they are 
creating policy through that lens. And after George Floyd, and this was a lot of, of what happened happened during COVID, at least to the point where we are now suffering some significant consequences, they were ruling through a social justice and critical race theory lens. And what we got were a series of policies, both on the, we'll talk about the, the, the sort of the, the social aspect of just living in Seattle, some of the social issues, but also some of the fiscal issues. We've seen them in the form of new taxes targeting businesses. And this was all because we had people who did not want to consider the impact it would have on the community. Instead, they would want the impact it would have on their progressive street cred. And so after BLM really took a foothold in this country, particularly around policing and the criminal justice system, you had politicians here and elsewhere trying to placate a mob that will never be placated because their position was abolition, right? They, they told us that, that they wanted to dismantle systems that they deemed to be of oppression. And they believe that the entire criminal justice system is oppressive. They believe that American education is oppressive. And so they sought to dismantle one policy after the other and then rebuild it in their image. And they were very successful in doing that in cities like Seattle and Portland and elsewhere. And we have suffered the consequences of that. How much did the pandemic help to accelerate these progressive policies? It was the key reason why we saw such deterioration so quickly. When COVID hit, particularly at the beginning when we didn't really know anything about it, you had politicians who were taking advantage. They were keeping you at home. They were keeping you from going into city council to complain about things. They were justifying a lot of their policies, particularly around homelessness and around jailing people around COVID, that if you were to jail people, then COVID will spread, then everyone will die. And that's what we were told over and over and over again. And certainly I understand at the front end of COVID why people were taking those kinds of precautions, but obviously we started to get way more information and the information was very clear that it wasn't what people thought it was. And I think they thought it was that bad in good faith, but then they kept going in bad faith. And we had up until recently, for example, here in Washington state, some jails not accepting people because of COVID. So would they turn away, they would turn around most misdemeanor charges, any nonviolent felony, they would just release, they wouldn't even book. And up until just recently, they were still holding that policy, which of course the criminals took advantage of. When you look at the homelessness crisis, you had policies in place because of COVID that we weren't gonna bring people into congregate shelter because it would spread COVID and just kill everybody, it would lead to, to mass graves, which of course was ridiculous, but that was the policy. And so when you have a hands-off approach to homelessness, guess what, it gets worse. Same thing with drug use. We're gonna go to you and deliver to you harm reduction model, uh, sort of a strategy of here's a clean needle, here is a, a, a fentanyl pipe. They were going out and handing these out, including to children here in Washington state. And it just got worse and worse and worse. It, there's momentum that picks up whenever activists get in charge of anything and they inspire activists outside of the main city in which they are performing their activism, which is why we started to see, again, not just in Seattle, but around these major cities, people fled LA and San Francisco and New York and Chicago only to find those same policies that they were fleeing started to be implemented in their neighborhoods.
So what made you sit down at the computer and say, I'm going to write a book about all this stuff that I'm seeing, all this stuff that I'm reporting on? Because that's a huge undertaking, especially for a guy who's already so incredibly busy. Yeah, I decided to do it because no one else was, right? At the end of the day, I thought that it was important to get this information out there, connect the dots that aren't necessarily getting connected, and doing it in a way that I can't necessarily do on the radio or TV. So when you're on TV, your hits are like three minutes, maybe at the most, you'll get lucky to get in six. But you're not just focusing on one topic, and you can't really take a deep dive into those topics because it's not just it's not very good tv and the same with the radio whereas i do have a lot more freedom to dive deeper in you know i host afternoon drive so i have to go through a lot of stories i have to make sure that everyone knows what's going on not just in sort of on one topic and the ability in a book to really dive into the weeds sometimes and and tell you exactly what's going on but still do it in an informative and entertaining way I thought was really important. And one of the other issues is, you know, there were a lot of policies that spread that have nothing to do with crime. And even though I'm kind of known as the crime guy in certain uh, media circles, part one of the book is on that. But part two on the book is the lifestyle that we have been forced to adopt because of radical left views, whether that means a housing first model as it relates to homelessness, whether that means the uh, free money that is handed out in the form of reparations and all the issues that are going into universal basic income, as well as just telling us how to cook, telling us how we're supposed to drive. All of those policies make life much more difficult for us, but also much more costly. While weirdly enough, you have the radical left complaining about the cost of living. It's like because you are implementing policies that are making it more expensive to live in your cities, which I get into in some good detail. Okay, so here's my question. Help me to understand. All of these people around, you know, in these blue cities who, you know, and in our federal government as well, who want these far left, crazy, ridiculous policies, they also have to live here. So why would they want to ruin the place that they live? So it's two parts. Number one, I think some people don't see it as ruining their cities. I think they have those blinders on where they don't truly understand what's going on because they're so personally separated from it. They're living in big homes, in expensive areas. They're not living with everybody else who has to suffer at their expense. And they come from usually, not always, but they usually come from wealth and the kind of privilege that the left talks about all the time. And so they're not feeling it the same way. On the other hand, the folks who do recognize what's going on, I think certainly for the last two and a half years, they thought it was worth the short-term pain for the long-term gain. They were playing the long run. So collateral damage between now and getting to that utopia that they see through that social justice lens, I think they think is worth it. So let's break it down. Start with homelessness. It's a horrible crisis right now. What are we going to do about it? Well, the thing you need to stop doing is the housing first policy, which unfortunately is still the main strategy that is used by Democrats, not just on the radical left, but Democrats in general have embraced this. And on paper, it could make sense. Housing First basically says, we're gonna put you into housing first, no matter what is the reason behind your homelessness, be it drug addiction, mental health issues, a lack of an education, whatever it happens to be, we're gonna get you into subsidized housing. And then we'll start the work 
to address the underlying causes of the homelessness. The problem is housing first does not require you to at any point get treatment for that mental health issue or that drug addiction to get better education, whatever that, is, that reason was behind homelessness, you don't actually have to address in most of these housing first communities. So I, I don't only spend some time going over specifically why housing first does not work and what does work, which is a carrot and stick approach, but I spend an entire chapter on Salt Lake City. There is this myth that Salt Lake City due to implementing housing first was this massive success that they got to a functional zero in homelessness. And it's funny because you think even the Salt Lake City as a city leadership is not conservative, it is Democrat. Um, it's not progressive, but it's certainly leading liberal. You have progressives who are saying, look at what happened in Salt Lake City with their housing first model it was a huge success. And I went back and I looked at some of the press behind it and it was all glowing. You had everything from the New York Times and the Washington Post and the Daily Show talking about how much of a success this was. But it wasn't a success. It was a huge failure. And so I spent a lot of time going in through some of the data and the experiences by people who actually lived in Salt Lake City at the time where they were supposedly getting a benefit from this housing first model. But they were like, no, this is way worse than it's ever been. And all you've done now is attract people into the area. So I thought that that was a really important story that needed to be told. Yeah, it absolutely is. I I spend uh, I I go there, you know, several times a year, and uh, and I know you're correct. They have not tackled that problem at all. Um, so what? Let's talk about crime. This is a big part of of what you do. Um, what do you talk about in the book when it comes to crime, and how are we going to solve this continued uptick in not just violent crime, but you know, retail theft and and just yep. a, an utter lack of care and concern for other people's properties, other people's bodies, et cetera. What do you talk about in the book? So I talk about this from different cities around the country. And I take you through specifically the policies that have been implemented and the strategies that have been undertaken from defunding to cashless bail to everything in between. I take you through the arguments that are proposed by the left. They basically argue that these are all systems that are indiscriminately targeting communities of color. And so I don't think that that's true. So I looked at the data and it's not true. And then I take you through the effects that we've seen, but I don't just do some of the stories that everyone has heard. I actually go in and I try to tell stories that I don't think most people have actually heard about, taking a deeper dive into what's been going on with George Gascon uh, in uh, LA County, what's been going on all around the country with these radical left DAs in Manhattan, Chicago, Atlanta, taking you through and explaining point by point, here's what they claim, here's what happened, here's why, and here's what you can do about it. And again, it it's, should not come as a shock that when you tell criminals that you're not going to punish them, they take advantage of that. And they certainly have been taking advantage over the course of the last several years. And a lot of that has been through the lens of critical race theory, where whenever you see a policy or a law that has a quote unquote disproportionate impact upon people of color, they're usually talking about black and Latinos, you know, they assume that that is a racist policy because of the disproportionality argument, which I find to be so incredibly lazy. So I take you through what the actual data says, despite what they'll claim on the left to explain why what they're proposing isn't working and specifically things that we've done in the past 
have in fact worked. We don't have to get all that innovative. Uh, sometimes you do, it kind of depends on the area you're living in and the issue at hand, but you just have to return to the way things were, making some minor tweaks along the way, and we'll get back to the stats that we once had. You spend a lot of time talking to cops. Cops talk to you, they tell you things. Tell people what you see, what you hear uh, from American law enforcement. What I hear from American law enforcement is that they're unappreciated, that they're starting to say to themselves, it's not worth the risk to my life and to my family working in a city or for a council that doesn't care about me or appreciate me, that they are, pardon the lazy pun, handcuffing us in our ability to do our jobs. I mean, we've, and again, I talk about this in the book where I go through specific laws that have been passed that make policing more difficult. And sometimes it's policy, but a lot of times it's laws. So for example, in Washington state, we have a ban on vehicular pursuits in almost all circumstances. We finally were able to get the Democrats to make just a little bit of a change so that we can see officers go pursue someone who's um, accused of a violent felony charge that there's just um, reasonable suspicion before reasonable suspicion was gone and was just probable cause. And, and that's a good reform, I suppose, a, a walk back, but that wasn't the main reason behind the push against this vehicular ban. It was all the nonviolent crimes that this was fueling because when you know you're not gonna be chased, well, guess what? You just commit a quick smash and grab or you steal a car or a catalytic converter and you know you're gonna get away with it because oftentimes they're using stolen vehicles at the time. So I take you through specifically some of the complaints that I've heard from officers all around the country because the good news is, at least for me, from my perspective, the research wasn't as intensive because what cops complain about in Seattle is what cops are complaining about in Philadelphia or in San Diego or in DC. So it makes it really easy to be able to pinpoint very specifically what small changes can be made to make policing more attractive again, because we have not come anywhere close to fulfilling that gap in the officers that we lost and the officers that we need. Jason, uh, if we made you king of the United States for, you know, about a month, what would you do to put this country back on the right track? I would, and this again, because you don't really have to be innovative, I don't think, to fix a lot of these problems. I would walk back the policies that I believe have made this country less livable. I would walk back the insane number of taxes that have been proposed and implemented on businesses and top earners, because all it's done is chase people out of some of these cities. I take us through in one chapter just the mass exodus of folks who lived in California, who lived in New York, who lived in Illinois. They left, they went to Texas, Tennessee, Florida for a reason. And I, I think if we can start reversing time and going back just a few years, and again, not every single reform that was made or law that was proposed is a negative. I think there was some positive, but I do think that they've gone way too far and I just want folks to look at these issues through an apolitical lens. The vast majority of this country does not look at these stories, look at these issues through a political lens. Politicians do. And I critique it through a, a political lens because that's how we're being impacted. So I would walk back the defund movement. I would refund and increase my support. I would make sure the prosecutors who are not actually doing their jobs will get replaced. I think it's important to do that.
Oh, absolutely. So Jason, when does the book come out? Where can we get it? Where can we find and follow you? And especially uh, tell people where they can also find your afternoon uh, drive show because it's what I'm, I live in Arizona and I listen to it. Yeah, so you can listen. If you're in Western Washington, I'm on KTTH 770 AM from 3 to 7 PM. If you're outside of Western Washington, you can either stream it on the KTTH app or you can subscribe to the podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, just search for Jason Rant's show. And to follow me, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and Truth Social and Getter, all those things under Jason Rant's. And then, of course, the book, which I finally got my copy of um, earlier on. It comes out in two days from now, or I guess depending on when you're listening, uh, September 26th. Pre-orders are incredibly important, especially for conservative authors. They make us jump through a lot of hoops to get onto any bestseller list, as many people have found out once they're following some of these stories with Greg Gutfeld or Mark Levin. It's not easy. So please pre-order the book and what I've been telling people who have already purchased, get one for a liberal friend who maybe you're trolling a little bit, but maybe, maybe, maybe they will open up their minds just a little bit and start to make some of these changes. Because a lot of these issues are starting in Democrat-run cities, which means we're talking to Democrats. And it's important for them to get a slightly different perspective than they're getting in local media, most likely. So I would encourage people to pick up the book. It's called What's Killing America Inside the Radical Left's Tragic Destruction of Our Cities. I have my Audible pre-ordered. I have my physical book pre-ordered. And when we get to see each other in person again, I can't wait to get it autographed. Jason Rance, thank you so much for spending some of your valuable time with us today. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.